0: This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation? Huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about
1: money, boys! Here we go again. You are not dealing with a sequel. You are dealing with the concluding chapter of a trilogy.
0: Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we talk about film series one movie at a time. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, James Hamrick. What's up, dude? Nothing much. What's going on? I'm doing all right. Uh, not all that jazz to be talking about this movie. Like, it's not a terrible movie, but it's just, there's not a lot here, unfortunately. Yeah. Spoilers for our thoughts in this film. It's definitely something. <laughs> so yeah, we are currently doing the, uh, the Scream series over this October, and we are now on the third one, Scream 3. It's crazy, like, due to a bunch of scheduling issues, we've talked about, like, three... We're going to be talking about three Scream movies over, over the course of, like, a week. Normally, we get to kind of, like, like, you know, play it out, have our thoughts, one, one movie per week, but nope, this was all front-loaded. So, I guess we'll kind of get the experience of the way they were made within a, a long gap between the third, the fourth film.
1: Yeah, there you go.
0: It is intentional. But before we move into Scream 3, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please head over to iTunes and leave us a radiant and review. Uh, then, like us on Facebook, where you can keep up to date with all the latest episodes and then leave feedback... That can be right on the show. So speaking of that feedback, I did ask on Facebook uh, what our listeners thought about this film, and we got one response. I feel like the the very – that big mountain of responses that we got for the first film and the, the very little interaction for all the later films is kind of indicative of just kind of how the public actually thinks about the sequels. Yep. So the one response we got was from Michael who said, worst one in the franchise, which seems to be kind the pretty consistent uh, legacy of this film. Uh, so diving right into the uh, production story. Uh, There was a bit more time between uh, Scream 2 and and then Scream 3 than there had been between the first and second film. Williamson's script for Scream 1 had included the outline for two sequels, and Craven had been signed on to direct two sequels uh, following successful test screenings for the first film. But after the second film, they were all pretty busy. Uh, Wes Craven used the success of Scream to finally make an attempt to escape the horror genre with a kind of feel-good family drama Music of the Heart, which came out in 1999 and bombed, uh, dooming him to make horror for the rest of his career. Kevin Williamson also wrote the horror films I Know What You Did Last Summer and The Faculty uh, that came out in 1997 and 1998, respectively. Uh, in early 1999, the Weinsteins approached Williamson to write the script for three. Uh, but at this time, he was busy trying to get his directorial debut, teaching Mrs. Tingle off the ground and didn't have the time. Hmm. So he wrote them a treatment uh, for whoever would follow him as the writer. And the writer they chose was Aaron Kruger. Uh, from such films as *Any of the State* and *Arlington Road*, he's worked on a lot of big films since. He worked really closely with Craven uh, in developing the script to try and to try and stay true to the characters. I don't know how well he did, but <laughs> he tried. Uh, but then the film ran into a major roadblock after the Col- the Columbine shootings in April of 1999. Uh, this reignited the massive controversies about the effects of violence, you know, violence in film on the audiences, and whether or not the other you know, films caused violence. And I'm so sick of this conversation right now. <laughs> not only because it's all it's like all infused in the history of Scream, but also dealing with the Joker and just uh, can we talk about something else, please? And then for a while, the studio you know considered simply shelving the film or possibly making it with a significantly significantly less violence and a greater emphasis on the humor and uh, meta aspects. Uh, but craven objected to this saying either we make a scream movie or we make a movie and call it something else but if it's but if it's a scream film we it's going to have certain standards um, even so i feel like this one is a bit less violent than the first two
1: yeah there's, there's there's decidedly less like nothing in this scene comes close to like the opening scene of the original or uh, or like the pulls to the face and two
0: yeah, there's blood, but they're almost always like cut away at, at the actual stabs, or, like cut to the face, or it's they 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 they, they, you know, they are. It's, it's a bit it's a bit softer.
1: It's definitely a lot more. I was about to say a lot funnier. I'll say a lot. It's trying. It's
0: yeah. There we go. <laughs> but they still had to make massive changes to the story. Uh the original film was going to be set in Woodsboro, and the villains would would have been a uh, teenage high school students in a fan club, uh devoted to the stab movies and uh Matthew Lillard was was actually hired to come back as the one kind of organizing the the uh, the killings from his prison, you know, through his fan club, um, which was which was the which was an idea that Williamson later adapted uh, into, uh, you know, f- from the screen or the original screen three script into his TV show. The following that was uh, with Kevin Bacon came out a while back. Mm. So they had they had obviously changed the killers from high school students because, uh, you know, the time the timing. And uh you know, moved the film to Hollywood and just had to rework all of that stuff very, very late in the day.
1: So like the originals, um the core cast returned here, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, Nev Campbell. Without Randy. Not Rand well, no, Randy Randy comes well, back. yeah, he came back, he did Um uh, Jamie Kennedy is there physically, seen in the movie, maybe not physically with him. And Leev Shreber is caught and weary as well. There's a good bit of, uh, of additional cast here, though. Patrick Dempsey plays uh, Detective Mark Kincaid. Uh, Matt Kiesler plays Tom Prince. Uh, Lynn McCree reprises her role from the picture in Scream 1 to actually play Maureen Prescott. Um, at least these visions that um, Sydney's having of her. Uh Roger L Jackson does return. I, I forgot to put him in the returning cast. He comes back to voice uh, Ghostface,
0: obviously. Is the guy who plays her follow the same? I forget he was only in that one scene like with tape over his face.
1: Uh yes, he is. Okay. Uh the new cast also includes Emily Mortimer as Angelina Tyler, Parker Posey as Jennifer Jolie, Jenny McCarthy as Sarah Darling, Dion Richmond as Tyson Fox, Scott Foley uh as the film's director Roman Bridger. And also, Lance Henriksen uh, appears as John Milton, and that guy's voice is just about as cool as they come. And he also voices a, a character in Mass Effect, and so every time I hear his voice, I, I get excited. Patrick Warburton, who I'm a big fan of always, uh, plays the bodyguard Steve Stone. Um, and Kelly Rutherford plays Christine Hamilton, uh, and she's Cotton Weary's girlfriend who gets killed in the very beginning of the film. There's just a funny tidbit about um, Emily Mortimer. She act, whenever she was cast, she didn't even actually have a permit to allow involvement in the film. Is she
0: like the first British cast member?
1: I think so. Because the these, these have definitely felt like all-American kind of, you know, films. High school, college campus. She ended up having to fly to Vancouver to get a a work permit before she could come back and actually shoot the film. Lawrence Heck and uh, C.W. Morgan both play Sidney's father, Neil Prescott, and Hank Loomis, respectively. They both show up. Uh, Nancy O'Dell reprises her role as just some rando, unnamed uh, reporter who is in Scream Two, and she's actually going to be in Scream Four again. And then there, so there's like weird cameos in this. Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith, <laughs> for some reason, aren't playing themselves. They're they're playing Jay and Silent Bob, like completely in character on the on the set have you ever seen either of those films i've seen jay and silent bob strike back
0: is that the first is that the first film That's, or is that the second film
1: that i've i have no idea i think there's actually <laughs> even more than apparently whichever one i saw is considered like the culmination of everything kevin smith had done up to that point and that was the only one i saw uh-huh. um so
0: i have no idea what to make of this thing i haven't, I haven't seen it I have no context <laughs> Yeah, no, because
1: there's there's the Clerks movies that they're technically a part of, and then I think they have their original movie, and then yeah, I think this is like a few and a few into the series. Regardless, uh, Roger Corman, uh, famous director, plays an on-set studio executive. Carrie Fisher has a uh, a cameo as actress Bianca Burnett, um, and she actually wrote part of a, her dialogue for the character. I and imagine
0: she all of that was ad libbed. <laughs>
1: It's, uh, it very much feels like any of her speeches that you might hear, just the way she jokes. Um, so that's it for
0: the casting. So filming began in uh, ni- July of 1999 on location in L.A. Uh, the C- CBS Studio Center stood in for the studio where Stab 3 is being filmed. Uh, the mansion where the finale was shot was the uh, canfield Moreno estate. Uh, because they had to rewrite so much of the film, like the second one, they began, fil- they began filming without a completed script. This meant that occasionally they would have to like refilm scenes to maintain continuity as the script was constantly evolving. Uh, sometimes they would just shoot multiple uh, takes of a scene, you know, multiple different variations so that they, they could pick uh, later on, pick which, whichever one fit in most with the final story and editing. During filming writer, Leda Calagritus, uh from such later films as Shutter Island and Alita Battle Angel uh, came on for uh, uncredited rewrites because uh, Kruger was then was moved by the Weinsteins onto other uh, projects for the studio
1: yeah so actually after uh 3 months after the completion of principal photography uh they decided that they didn't like the ending that they gave themselves they thought that uh Sydney actually got like won the victory too easily um it didn't feel like this kind of fight that was earned like the first two did they didn't end up completely reshooting the ending, but they did shoot considerably more footage for it.
0: Yeah, I watched it last night. It's pretty much the same thing, but just like moments and beats added here and there.
1: Uh, apparently, like there, they ended up cutting down to like three different endings that they they wanted to choose from. Um, and they really focused on the ending because you know th- they considered this at the time the ending of the trilogy, and they wanted to um, they wanted to deliver on randy's video where he was saying you know anybody could die even you sydney and what they realized is they'd set that up and then there was no real tension when it came to to sydney's fight at the very end with roman so yeah they ended up i think instead of him hiding like they they added the bit of of him getting shots off on her and just extended it out a, a bit more make you make you wonder although i can't imagine anybody really really wondering they also added um uh patrick dempsey's character back into the the finale he was he was originally absent from it also so we've had, you know scream 2s it, it like it ended up going through the mpaa with very little um trouble there's not nearly as much like documentation on what happened here um but we do know that craven's experience here felt a little bit more similar to the original Scream and scream 2 um and that is weird just because of to me this felt like far less violent
0: which could simply be a result of them having to cut around it a whole bunch true and cut it all yeah. out
1: i should have grabbed the quote but there's even a an interview with craven where he said this like having this experience again was just like another like one extra thing that kept having him like wish that he could leave the horror genre as having to deal with this the whole time For the film score, uh, Marco Beltrami returned to score it. It's weird. So he did all three of these, and there's, like, definitely similarities. But for some reason, like, Dewey gets a new theme with every single movie. Um, (laughs) And it's weird because it's not like, oh, I have this bigger and better idea. They're all kind of similar. There's, like, weird, like, bass and, like hints of kind of a western sound to it like with his like cop status so yeah i i don't really understand his decision also uh like he's done previously he also incorpor- uh, incorporated different excerpts of uh of the score broken arrow by uh hans zimmer uh you can hear this in the track sid wears a dress well
0: so was beltrami one of uh one of hans zimmer's kind of acolytes i'm not you know he's. Kind of like a whole crowd of Hollywood composers, you know, working out kind of all came out of the Zimmer school. I'm actually gonna look that up real quick. Yeah, so I guess not, but I, I wonder how that worked. Like, what was Broken Arrow a dimension film, or like why that, why that movie?
1: He must be a big fan. Wow! And then he went on to do the Hurt Locker.
0: Hmm. Beltrami. Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff. I love, like, his. I think his my favorite from him is the script of yeah, the the score for Three Ten to Yuma. I
1: was about to say that one was super good. His score for Logan was really good. Wow, this guy just Ford v. Ferrari.
0: Hmm. He works with James Mangold.
1: The guy ended up going places. The film ended up having its premiere on uh, February 3rd, 2000 uh, at the AMC Aco Theater in Westwood, Los Angeles. Uh, and then it released uh, the next day publicly or internationally, I guess.
0: Uh, so James, um, how, how, what did you think about this film uh, with, on its first viewing and uh, how, how have your thoughts on it evolved since then?
1: Yeah, so this is weird. I've I've rarely had such a different experience between my first viewing and where I'm at today. Um first viewing, I really really enjoyed this movie a lot. But I so I as I've said, I binged all four of them just back to back. And so I was less caught and this was also years ago. So I was less caught up in Thinking about its themes, thinking about its character. like not thinking—I really loved its characters, and that's why I enjoyed all four so much. But my mind was almost digesting all of them as if they were all just—you know—they're all just fun slashers. They're not really appreciating the films themselves, and so nothing will make you hate a film like appreciating film. That's true. That is very true. Um, no, I just—I remember really for some reason like really enjoying just the really cheesy vibe and the what I perceived as the movie having a lot of fun with itself and not taking itself is yeah, I I just had a really good time. And honestly, if it weren't for the fact that, you know, we're rewatching this for the sake of like reviewing them and talking about them, I could probably just sit back and watch this movie and enjoy it. Just have a good time with it so I've seen it three times. The first time I loved it. The second time I watched it, it was actually a little bit over a year ago. Um, uh, actually maybe just around a year. Um, and I watched it with friends. And so we got through the first two and I was like, I was not embarrassed at all. Cause we had, we had been watching really dumb slashers and I really talked these up. And so, um, after the first, I was like, see guys, like these, these are the cream of the crop in this genre. Uh, and I, I remembered loving 3 and 4 the exact same way. And so I was like, yeah, man, these just stay good. And then we watched 3. And I <laughs> I didn't apologize because we ended up having a really good time with it. Um, but yeah, I realized how off the mark my initial thoughts were. And that's kind of where I'm at now, where it's just... I there is definitely a line drawn between the first two and this one for me um i unironically watch and enjoy and love the first two and this is kind of this is where the film kind of becomes the movies it's parodying yeah and that's whenever my brain switches over to to the mode that i have to be in to to watch those kinds of movies and you Know for like the one edge that I'll give to three over some of those is that like I do enjoy the characters and I do enjoy the actors and their performances and stuff, even when it's just completely ridiculous and over the top. But it has that investment, so I still enjoy it more than most of like the really bad slashers. But yeah, it is it is decidedly not a good
0: movie, <laughs> yeah. So, similar to you, I watched all these films in fairly uh, quick succession, and I remember. L- pretty really enjoying this film. I think it, w- it was my least favorite of the four, but it was like, yeah, it was still still pretty good. And I was I was always a little baffled by how negative uh the reception was, and I am baffled no longer. Uh not really. Like in this last year, like, I still I still enjoyed it. Oh, like, for sure. Something you ha- you have to take into account before you actually talk start talking about the film is that in the realm of slasher sequels, this is still like the you know, it, it's the way up top. So it, it is among
1: the I best. I still consider this better than every single Friday the Thirteenth that I've seen so far.
0: Yeah, it's better than every Friday the Thirteenth film. It's better than most of the Elm Street films. It's better than most of the you know the Halloween films, and then you know definitely better than all you know, all the other lesser known sh- slash. Like this is it's actually a movie, and it's actually kind of fun. <laughs> but like from from scream by scream standards it is a bit of a letdown. I think there are a couple reasons for that. Uh, one thing, did it feel like this film takes place in a different time period than the rest of the, than the previous two films?
1: To me, it almost just, it felt like it took place in a different world almost like, <laughs> like, and I, so this complaint is going to sound super weird and like, well, duh, because given the setting, because there's so much of this movie that's spent around film sets and on film sets and that, but I mean to say this not in a in a way that, like, entertains that idea, but to me this movie feels almost like it is, even the scenes that aren't supposed to be are just shot on film sets, shot not in the real world. Everybody feels like they're in a movie and not interacting. I think talking about, like, Scream 1, just the way the teenagers felt so of the time and so real and the way they they joked around and referenced and everything, and Scream 2 just, like, living on this campus and exploring it. Like there was a sense of reality to those. And this one just, it has a sense of randomness to like, there's no real sense of real world tangibility for me. That's Hollywood for
0: you. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Yeah. It's, I think one big issue thing we praised, especially in the first one was that these people, they feel like real people and they has that vital thing in slashers where you don't want these characters to die. That's not really the case here. like I still I still like Sydney I still like Gale I still like uh, Dewey but everyone else uh, they can die <laughs> and it's like and there are, there are actually there are a lot of the characters like there was a like a real likability factor to all the previous cast. like even the, the the new guys in the in uh, stream two with uh, Derek or Mickey like they they're, they're kind of fun they fit in pretty well they all have decent chemistry <sighs> but the, and they also felt like people. None of the cast of this, like, the the new Stab 3 cast, none of them feel like people. Yeah. They they are stock slasher characters. And I think that right there sets this film back a lot.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that it's it's weird that I – I guess on my first watches through the whole series, I just – I focused on the core. You know, the people – by the end of the fourth one, I was like, wow – this movie just focused on this core of people. They're the guys who made it all the way through, and so it was hard for me to really differentiate um, the side, you know, the the side characters throughout. Because you know, like, oh well, these are the main guys. Everyone else is just side characters. But rewatching them, you know, the the people who die, um, Rose McGowan's character in the first one, you're like. I, we even brought this up in our review. You know, like if you had killed Randy or someone else instead of her and she lived, like, that would feel like that makes sense. Like she just felt very much a part of of that film's main cast. And I forgot just how well um Derek and Mickey like fold into the just the dynamic and the chemistry where like halfway through it's like, no, yeah, this is the scream cast. These are these are legit characters that that are every maybe not every even Haley. like to a lesser
0: extent she still felt she still felt of a part
1: yeah and and here it it almost not even almost it feels like the film is constantly like reminding you that these people are expendable these people are other these are not your favorite characters these are not a part of our favorites you know like hey there's dewey we love like here's sydney showing up Like these are our guys. These other people aren't, don't get attached. There's, there's no attempt at folding them into any meaningful, like any meaningful dynamic or giving them any serious identity or personality outside. Very like broad bro, uh, broad stroked kind of, Oh, come on. Jennifer
0: was a really deep character.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. Uh,
0: yeah. I feel like there was an attempt an attempt maybe, maybe, maybe half an attempt with uh patrick dempsey's uh what's what's the the detective what's his name kincaid kincaid yeah like there's like there are moments like of connection between him and sydney uh, like you know how he's haunted for him hollywood is about death and like there's stuff there but it doesn't really mean a lot and it doesn't help that he's so completely sidelined for the third act sideline he
1: shows up at the very end and hits his head <laughs> and he gets taken out twice <laughs> there's a there's a moment like within literally 1 minute two people like fall and bump their head and get knocked out
0: uh, th- this movie like okay it's not bloody but there is a lot of fist to cops and bashing going yeah. on
1: everybody in this movie should have
0: severe concussions yeah uh i do uh, speaking of the cops i do like uh, kind of his his uh there's like there are a couple of funny moments with uh, Wallace, his uh, his side guy. You know, like, oh, it's the old kill- the old killer playing with the cops routine. Very Hannibal Lecter. very seven. Doesn't the killer usually come after the cops in those movies? Well, one usually lives. <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: my favorite moment from like a uh, whenever uh, he's like this, nobody really believes that uh, the film has anything to do <laughs> with his death. He <laughs> says uh, he's making a movie called Stab. He was
0: stabbed. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, and then going to like all the the kind of the, the pop culture awareness. I was trying to figure out like why is it that they didn't feel as natural and felt a lot more cheesy and forced here. Even like 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 so they're not substantially different. Like all the different pop culture references, like they're not substantially different from the ones in the previous two films. But I think I think the reason it kind of doesn't work is because everyone like this is Hollywood, so everyone is like a pop culture wannabe. A, you know, pop culture expert want to be. And so there, everybody is making the reference. It's not just Randy. It's not just Mickey and maybe another, a couple other characters making once occasionally. It's like everybody knows the movies and everybody's doing it. I, I think that kind of increases the whole fakeness about the movies, where all of them are these kind of, like all of them are trying to be this hip thing. And it, it just, it doesn't feel as real. There's, there's not as much of v- like a variety of characters.
1: Yeah, and I think another issue with it for me, it, and it's something that happens a lot um, in ongoing series, is the the further out you get from the original, in some cases, the more watered down it gets to where, like, by the first it create like, when the first comes out, it has its own identity. It has these characters that make these references. It feels very specific to it. And people really enjoy that. And but there's also a lot of nuance. There's like a lot of different things that make the film work. And the further you get from it, the more people like this. The script seems to just highlight. Well, this is a movie about references and this and that. And so like all of the nuance falls to the side. They're like, well, we got to make sure everybody has these. And mm-hmm. and in doing so, it feels less organic to the script. Like when these references happen in the first two they re- like they feel like natural extensions of the characters and here this is this film is where they really start to feel like movie lines like you can see the line on the script you can imagine like the writer writing it with you know with a pause for a laugh between like it's just it's very very scripted and and not like conversational
0: yeah i don't think it's like terrible in that way but it is just kind of a feeling that kind of permeates the script yeah like is the i'm not i wasn't like cringing the whole time
1: no it wasn't that but it just i don't know there's a there's a sense of intention that i got from a lot of the references in this one that Mm. i don't i didn't feel in that way uh in the first especially the first one
0: so let's go to some positives. We've kind of been bashing for a while. I th- I think the opening is actually pretty great and kind of classic Scream. Like, it's the... I think the one place in the film where it actually... The horror aspects really stood out. It actually felt scary. It felt very clever. And, like, it, it's just like... Take your pick of any kind of descriptor that you want to put on, on on the Scream series. I think most of it applied to that beginning. Although I think it's kind of unfortunate that they killed Cotton because I think Cotton... Is a really fun wrinkle, and you know he'd only just come into his own in the second film. I think he's a really great wrinkle to this cast, and like we've already lost Randy. I think we, I, I would have appreciated kind of the kind of wild card that he was. That said, I think it's a really effective sequence that, that that at least for the first couple, maybe the first act of the film, you know, provides some serious stakes. Yeah,
1: it's it's weird. So watching it this time, I almost because i i really really enjoyed this first scene um and it was almost when i was like man maybe we were maybe i was wrong on my second viewing and i'm about to like revert back to to how i felt on the first one because this is like it felt serious it like you said it felt very very scream like melt it down to what it is at its core and it does do that kind of like claustrophobic um you know just talking through like talking with someone up to their death it, it was and it was really well shot i thought the tension was really great
0: it gets overplayed but the the mimicking of their voices like it, it it doesn't work by the end of the film but in this sequence it's super creepy
1: yeah that's the thing i was i i get increasingly and like genuinely annoyed with the the voice thing towards the end but within like this first scene i think it it works really well especially like after the reveal like even having the or not even i guess it's not even a reveal for her um it's just the reveal for us but whenever he's talking about like a bashing her head in but it's still through his voice you know it's it's just really really unnerving
0: and doing that classic thing of you know breaking down trust where he comes in you know like, he literally... The killer uses cotton to break down the door and has them fight each other so he can come in and kill them.
1: Yeah. And there, there are other little things that I like a lot, like her getting out of the shower and, like, you know, having the... having the water in the hallway and then her slipping on it as he chases her back down the hallway. Huh. It was... Cool. Like, it was doing things that reminded me of, like, oh, yeah, you know, Craven's really good. This stuff is, like, this is why I like this. And I, I don't ever, like, just get into moments where I dislike this movie, but this opening scene for me is, is definitely like the film's high. I also just, I'm, I'm even more upset that they kill him though, because of like, I, I really like where he's at at the beginning with 100% cotton, 100% which is cotton. just fantastic. <laughs> and the the premise of his show, like if you listen to it where he's like, he's, uh, ha- he's allowing victims of like car accidents to confront the perpetrators and stuff. So it's like very, very like, informed by you know what made him famous and was like man that's i I want more of that that's cool i feel like his presence could have especially considering you know they they kill off all of the like literally every single new character except for patrick dempsey at the end like if he he could have died in this film but you know save it for the third act as opposed to the opening because then you still you still kill who at that who at that point had become like i'm you know. main side character so you still have that sense of stakes that's another thing this movie had no stakes because we're just constantly killing off the cast that we're like well i didn't expect any of them to live anyways but yeah i, mm-hmm. I li- and i like you know Leo shrever he feels like that the same kind of sleazy continuation of where he was in the first one. you know, talking to the talking to that girl really living it like getting himself hyped on his own fame at that point
0: yeah and back to some negatives. <laughs> uh, the, 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 there was a thing this is kind of uh, where the behind the scenes production kind of interviewed with the film i heard it, like in an interview that they only had nev campbell for three weeks and watching that film with that knowledge it was really obvious that yeah they didn't have her for much time at all because and, and that and that hurts this film because ostensibly this is really her story like sure they're all her story but like this the, the core story that, that that they're going for is all about her and and, the, and and they kind of they try to bring back the going home the return to Woodsboro angle with but with that set which i think it's a really cool idea that the the, the action sequence in the set is pretty cool yeah. and i think actually worse you know, we should just kind of wander around the scene, and you have like Sydney's lament playing it's, it's it's very effective but i really think this should have been about her and it should have gone back to Woodsboro, because you know it's all about you know the all the sins of the all the sins of the past from the previous films—it's all coming home. It's it's the trilogy, you know. It's the, you know, the caper of the trilogy. So, only not having the main character and like two thirds of the film really hurts the film. And so we're kind of just like spending, you know, just kind of wandering around with Dewey and Gale. And I like Dewey and Gale, but there's there's absolutely no dramatic weight to any of the stuff they're doing. And so and, and you can tell, like I think. If I'm not mistaken, like, Sydney is contained to, ma- like, five, maybe six locations for the entire film. Like, she spends, like, the entire first act at her house, and then she spends, like, half of the third act, like, in the police offices in this one room. Like, you can really – they only had so much time with her. They're just really trying to get through as much as possible with her. But there's just so much screen time where she's not she's not there. And whenever she's not there, there's no drama.
1: Yeah, that's that's another thing that I noticed big time. Uh, on this rewatch is she is very much the lead of the first two and it's kind of hard to this movie never feels like it actually has a lead you know i think it wants you to think that it's sydney and it's trying to use her you know because hearing that that definitely sounds likely and i've read that from like multiple different places so i'm i'm assuming it's, it's correct otherwise i have no idea why you know why they would write it this way but because of those limitations, this movie doesn't feel like it has a lead. She's, she's absent for way too long. She's completely passive for the far majority of the film. And whenever we're not with her, and we're just kind of bouncing between the new cast and Dewey and Gale, and then Gale and her sidekick. It's just, it feels so random and unfocused that there's never there's no real idea or theme to latch on until the very end and it's hard to kind of like work that retroactively over the film even though i think the film thinks that this has all been present in ways it has but it's just it just feels so loosely connected
0: yeah and like, i thing it's like i like a lot of the ideas in this film like going to hollywood that's a and, and, you know playing it around a sequel you know a stab sequel that's a great idea and just kind of and like sequence is like the killer rewriting the script and sending it by fax to, to taunt them. Like there's, there's a lot of fun concepts happening here and, or just things like, you know, sitting going back to Sydney's mother and, you know, the thing that started it all, and just, you know, bringing it all home for her and uh, like, you know, her living in isolation, like a Sarah Connor, Connor figure. Um, like there's, there's, it's I think like most of the ideas are sound, but there's just, they're just never quite, Played out in a way that makes them like actually effective. I, I feel like in an ideal world, you know, not counting, you know, you, obviously Columbine happened, and they can't work. They, you know, they can't help that. But like, like I think the third film should have been back to Woodsboro. Like maybe like this set the fourth film in Hollywood or something. Like I like I like the Hollywood angle, but it's 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 com- it's combining two different ideas, and they they try very admirably to combine them with the whole. Let's just get into it now. The whole I guess Me Too thing. With these you know sleazy Hollywood producers and I guess what and their and their uh quote unquote parties and like they're trying to combine it you know, she went to Hollywood and they something really horrible happened some you know assault or whatever rape or something and you know, it really destroyed her and you know, you know kind of sent her life into the downward spiral that ended in her you know her rape and murder from Billy and like they try to combine it I think they do it. Like they, they they do it they do an admirable attempt, but Sydney is so absent and and almost entirely separate from the actual Hollywood stuff. It, it just does when the reveal finally comes around. It's more like, huh, okay, and not like not a gut punch.
1: Yeah, and honestly, even some of that stuff. You know obviously, I can't help but look at it through, um, just through the lens of of today. Uh, but even still, like something we talked about. Uh, on on episodes like Split, or whenever we did the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, like when you handle these, like these kind of heavier subjects, which I think horror often does and often does very well. So you're almost like taking on a responsibility, though. Um, uh, like you have mm-hmm. to understand the weightiness of what you're doing, and and for, I don't know. There, was, there just seemed to be a flippant almost way the it had it felt very functional as opposed to i don't know trying to do anything too meaningful with it
0: i guess when you have carrie fisher about joking but the, the one who got the role was the one who slept with george lucas it does it does put a little bit of a damper yeah. on the whole yeah, and, and so it and just all.
1: it feels like we need some reason you know we we need some reason to make this personal again we need to go back to her mother and this is how we're going to do it it's just the movie is so jokey, is so hammy, is so cheesy, so often and so ridiculous and over the top. It's like, and I'm fine with all of that. It's just, if you're going to choose this subject matter and try to fold it into a film like this, it just, it feels really off and it feels, not not irreverent, not but it's it still, it just, it it felt like they, they should have known that there was not, the level of maturity in this film to like handle something like that. And so by the end of it, it feels just like just a smidge gross. I don't know. It, it always rubs me the wrong Mm -hmm. way.
0: It does. It doesn't help that the, the, the guy who is the guy who's ranting about it is like a raging misogynist listening to the way he's describing what happened to his mother. Like he doesn't care about his mother. He's just mad at how all the things that happened to her affected him.
1: That's the thing. There's no, there's no even like voice for that. Like you've got the producer who's like trying to discuss it and hush.
0: She knew what she was getting into.
1: Yeah. Like you've got this really like, and if you're going to have a character like that, fine, but we need the, you know, we need the other voice. But when you just, the only people talking about this are the sleazy producer and the guy who doesn't give a, this self-entitled little a-hole who doesn't give a crap about anything. And Sydney
0: doesn't care because she's like, she's literally like, I've heard this all before, just shut up and, you know, have some you know, effing responsibility.
1: Yeah, so ultimately this movie is not even like, finding any meaningful voice for those ideas. It's just, it's just playing around with these ideas and not doing anything remotely meaningful. And again, just given what it is that the movie's talking about it just it feels like they they should have known like maybe let's let's find
0: motivation elsewhere yeah but then again you, we are looking at it through the lens of you know me too and all the stuff that came out and also it gets even infinitely more sleazy you know judging by the fact that harvey weinstein's name is the first thing that comes up on the screen yeah Oh uh, yeah <laughs> so hollywood guys it's fun oh yeah and like there's this lines, there's lines like uh, where Lance gets said, you know, Hollywood is full of criminals that you know, make a living every day. It's just like, like, I, I don't know. Is it, is it self-aware or is it clueless? It's one of those. It might be both.
1: That's, it, it's, it's the thing. I mean, first of all, obviously this movie could not get made the way it is today, but it's, it does kind of seem that like almost awareness, like this nonchalant awareness like, oh, yeah, you know, this is just how it goes, ha ha ha, and it moves on. I don't know, it's it just feels especially weird now. Roman, huh? I mean, never sleep with him again. <laughs> there's, there's so many lines you could just pick out at random points, like, oh, why are you about what you're about? Like,
0: and, and like, even the like, sweet, innocent girl, like the Emily Mortimer plays for the entire film, oh, she turns out she's just as much of a, you know, a, a narcissistic a hole as the rest of them. I you mean, know, I didn't sleep with that pig. You know Milton, so I could to get the leading role, so I could die with second rate celebrities like you. Like everyone is every. Maybe it's just maybe they're just saying Hollywood sucks. <laughs> there's there's no redeeming because everyone who's in it is just a terrible person. So yeah, just it's, it's a cute movie, yeah. <laughs> it's. I don't know if we have much more to say about this subject. Yeah. So moving over to uh Gale and Dewey, um. I guess the idea that they gave it a go, and but then broke up because Dewey w- wasn't willing to leave Woodsboro and Gale, you know, needs to be set free to flutter away like a little bird. Like, okay, that- I, I, She's a peacock. You gotta let her fly. What, what's that from?
1: <laughs> the Other Guys.
0: Okay. <laughs> Surprisingly funny
1: movie? You should check
0: it out, everybody. I saw it. I thought it was okay. Maybe I need to watch it again. Uh, like- that, that 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 that's th- that's sound i guess like from a character standpoint but the way it's played out it literally just feels like they want to rehash the the will they won't they of scream 2
1: yeah i i remember liking them a lot the first viewing and now i so insufferable is way too far but th- it's just there's something kind of annoying any like when they're together and it's not coming up I'm like, yeah, I love Gail. I love Dewey. I really do love these characters and spending time with them. But whenever, like, the whole point, the, their argument on the film set is just. I also don't think their acting is as good here, like e- from either of them. I just it feels like a general lack of like care, almost like like to me that this whole movie feels like the direction, aside from the opening, feels very like
0: very typical, very Ab- above average. By far, for slashers, but a step yeah. down from the previous two,
1: yeah, but still very generic, just like point the camera where you want. There's not a lot of time there's not really that that great build of tension the way the first two had. Uh, but yeah as well as the acting it just I think part of it is because they're really playing up the comedic element a lot here. And in the first one, when things were funny, it felt like they were funny because, well, I think we've reached a moment where this character would say something funny. Like, they just feel so natural. Mm -hmm. But here, it's just... And it's kind of what we were saying earlier, which, to me, it feels like, wait, we need to have another funny part in the script. And you can just see him, like, typing it out. Like, this is where this person jokes. And so, it, it didn't really feel like the characters. And if it didn't feel like the characters... And and it doesn't like and the the actors don't seem too invested in them. Maybe because it doesn't like it's.
0: Which is funny because like you watch the behind the scenes and listen to all the interviews, they seem to have a lot of fun with this movie. Like they they all seem to be like like, this was kind of like a family reunion. They were all having a good time. So maybe (laughs) uh, the the funny thing is, uh, Courtney Cox and uh, David Arquette got married the month before the filming filming started. So see
1: that almost almost makes it make more sense to me i don't like i i feel like there's kind of this trend and this goes back to to what i was talking about with the script where like the further and further you get from something and the more like the more and more you can keep identifying like these recurring things that people like this uh this style of humor like this style of satire these this comedic element that's present in here i feel like you see that in a lot of series even there's a there's a handful of things that I feel like I could name that that didn't work super well for me from other franchises that that a lot of people love but that I would I would describe are the same thing where it's like you get further out and you identify this and you know the actors may be super know that you know I, I it wouldn't surprise me if they're looking at the script and playing these scenes and just having the time of their lives but like friends getting together like oh this line's funny I'm going to try to you know say it this way just to like, see if I can make it as funny as I can. And, you know, like, man, the set is just a super good time. And, like, the, the idea of, of it feeling like a family reunion also or like almost makes that make even more sense to me.
0: Where it's just like, yeah, we're just here having a good time. It doesn't help that that both of them are saddled with Parker Posey for, <laughs> like, most of the film. Like, like a third wheel slash kid. And I think, like, I, from what I know, she's gone on to do a bunch of good stuff. But I think she's kind of bad here. Like, the character is so absurdly over the top and just, like, playing at a completely different level from everyone else. Uh, Like, there are a couple moments of kind of fun chemistry between her and Gail where they're doing these little back-and-forth comedy routines. You know, they're they're from a different film, but there's still something there. But overall, it's just – she's just kind of grating.
1: Yeah, every now and then she'll do something that I think – like, there'll be – there's, there's elements of her so, like, shadowing.
0: Like when, when, her and Gail are kind of standing side by side, like, like finishing each other's sentences or something, that, that kind of works, but.
1: Yeah. And she's, she's almost like that kid standing behind the mom watching her and mimicking her. Like every now and then it is fun. Like, I don't, I don't want to write it away completely because I did end up enjoying some of it. It is like, she's got hilarious comedic timing and waiting for Guffman and she's super funny in Parks and Rec. Um. But here it just, it feels like whenever she has, like, dialogue-heavy scenes, it's just, it's so hammed up. And like you said, it's just completely in a different movie. And it's also just really unnecessary, like, that part where Gail leaves and she's like, uh, like, y'all go, I have an idea, I'm gonna go look into something. And it's like, why are we, why is this movie constantly separating and creating weird, like, groupings and... I don't know. It just every time, like there's a a split in who's with who and why. It just it feels so contrived.
0: Yeah, I, I don't really have anything to say about any of the other characters except like they they try to they, to pull the self aware the self aware black character who doesn't want to die because black characters die in horror films and then they kill him. Like you don't get points for being clever if you actually just fall into the same cliche. Uh but the, uh, the the character Sarah, the 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 one the girl who's um you know who's who is uh you know on the the conference call with this director, then gets killed you know while doing the script read through. It's just weird. She look a lot like Reese Witherspoon. Oh, I could see that, and like in the mouth, the jaw. It was, it was so distracting. Like several times, like that's Reese. It has to be. It has to be her. Uh but no.
1: Old uh, Donny uh, Donny Wahlberg's wife. Oh, really?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah. Like the, 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 there were some funny, like kind of funny meta thing, lines with something. Like, Has there been another damn rewrite? How are we supposed to learn lines with another script for every fifty eight minutes? Which is kind of like an actual thing that was happening, you know, during throughout the writing. Like, th- th- there's a bit of self awareness about you know, just how difficult it was to make this movie.
1: You know, I guess while we're on this streak of talking about things that we didn't really like, um, <laughs> I'll bring up something else. So something that you brought up for two that I definitely I definitely see and understand the point. is just it didn't really like it didn't affect my viewing negatively at all. Of the second one is like it's in broad daylight. It's not nearly as claustrophobic mm. for me. It kind of worked. I really liked the the campus setting. I would apply everything you said and then amplify it tenfold for this film. This film is there's no and we we have talked about this a little bit, but I just I kind of want to focus on the scenes where they, aside from the original, where they think that they're being scared. I don't even know if this movie thinks it's ever really tense or scary. I guess they did because they saw the ending and they thought, no, let's make this really tense. Um, But it's never, it's never putting you on the edge of your seat. And it's because they're constantly undermining it with just complete ridiculousness. Like, absurdity that would never have flown in the first two like i think one of the most obscenely stupid things ever is uh they're all inside and do is like everybody outside and the the guy who Dies in just a few minutes. It's like outside where they can pick us off one by one. No, we stay here. It's like what? What does that even mean? If y'all are grouped up outside, how do you get picked up? And then after saying that, and they go all outside. He's like, "All right, I'm going back in. I can't not know." And he runs like this guy who's trying to say like, "No, let's be smart and stick together." Runs back inside, and the whole lighter thing, and bl- it's just that was one of the most like comedically stupid <laughs> scenes of anything it is i love the idea like,
0: but the whole death by facts thing but yeah it, it doesn't it's not as effective as it could be
1: yeah i don't know it's just again that that scene is like what i would point to and just talking about how contrived this film often feels like leaving a lighter and just it's it's so so silly there's so many different things have to work for that everything has to go right for that death to like work the way it does and then after the explosion it just like sends everybody like a football field's length away from each other even though they were all standing relatively in the same place
0: hey it was a long hill but it was all straight down
1: (laughs) and and even like the death of patrick warburton which come on like at least at least let him be in it longer like i need that voice for more of the movie but like he's in the closet 3 feet away from him talking and we can't hear him at all until he turns off the mic and jumps out and he's like I'm right here it's, you were there's like a crack under the door that you're 3 <laughs> like that you're behind and it's like 3 feet away from the guy you're talking to it's just this there's no like rules of reality that apply to any of these scenes and so it's like oh, I, I I don't feel any sort of tension I don't feel any sort of like unease because you can just do whatever you want you're just making you're making up reasons and ways to kill these people that just feel so far removed from any semblance of like logic that when it happens it's like well of course you wanted that to happen and you wrote it to happen and and then you know the scene with the Reese Witherspoon look like dying like you had I thought the whole idea of of him hiding in the costumes like oh that's a cool idea it I wish it was done more with and like ultimately her is like going through the window and then getting status. Like, man, I just, I'm not caring about any of this. I don't care about her character, the scene. There's no real, any real tension. It's, it's daylight. We're not really,
0: the, the, the moment where she picked up a prop knife was kind of funny.
1: Yeah. That moment was good. Um, but...
0: like the, I think every one of these sequences has elements of like Wes Craven's cleverness with just the geography and choreography. Like, I, I don't think any one of them is like, like remotely as bankrupt as like all the scenes from like the Friday the 13th sequels um I I think one sequence I would say is the exception to that like absolutely non-creepy rule that you have is the uh the the scene on the set on the uh, Woodsboro set where uh where um Sydney's kind of alone there because it's just like a a creepy setting just that giant fake town and no one's around and Kind of going it. really it.
1: reminded me of like that moment in I think it's New Nightmare where she goes back to the, the house from the original movie. Oh, does that happen
0: there too? It's been a while since I've seen that. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, whatever. It's a ripoff. Never mind. Uh, yeah. So, like, I think that sequence is pretty creepy. I think there's some really clever choreography, like with the, the way that like she opens the door, like the closet door, and it hits the handle of the, the main bedroom door, which would like they're playing with the fact that it's a set where she like runs through a door and, and it's like just a drop off, like, a two story drop off. And then, kind of hanging on the wall, and when he comes through, she pulls him through the doorway. Like this, I think, there's a lot of clever choreography there going on, um, and and actually some genuine creepiness just with the you know the her mother's you know uh, death scene, like the corpse and the you know, the bloody the bloody sheet and all that.
1: Yeah, that's. Inf- I really I feel like I like this movie considerably more whenever Sydney's around, because like as everybody else is kind of just cheesing it up. She still plays the character with like a level of maturity and conviction. Is
0: probably because she wasn't around for most of the movie. Probably, she only comes back because she's, is... just, she's just trying to be her character.
1: Yeah, and so yeah, I I still like being with her. I I like the sincerity that she plays the character with. Also, so a moment just to to say something positive. A moment that I did really like is uh is her reunion with Dewey and Gail. Like whenever. Dewey looks over and she walks in and she smiles and they just like run to each other and have that massive hug. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is, this is something that I like these like that. There was so much sincerity and they're just like their expression to each other there. And then like her awkward kind of like barely like just kind of go in for that hug, but don't really know how with it's like this feels like real dynamics. These feel like these, like these Scream characters that I like. Yeah. So what you're saying uh, and, is and of course, we should
0: separate them for the rest of the movie.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, after we've had this great embrace and we got the, the gang back together, let's keep her at the,
0: at the police station. Yeah. Cause Patrick Dempsey, they have like such great chemistry, you know? Oh my goodness. You know, did you see his hair? <laughs> Good grief. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Sydney, like I, I, I like the idea of, of opening with her. as kind of a complete recluse, you know, working over the phone. I, I do like that. She's, you know, she's doing the kind of the abused women's helpline, but, you know, she's using a fake name like it, it does feel like kind of like a real person had <laughs> a very real reaction to the ending of Scream 2 and where that you know, how broken that left her character. And I, I think like if the idea of of Scream 2 was that she was just trying to live her life normally and, and, and it was like, you you know, she'll never have a normal life. And like she, uh, but then scream three is she's trying to isolate herself entirely, and that also doesn't work. Like I get that, like all these like, the whole like yeah, bringing her back, drawing her out. You know, they end with this very 90s sitcom thing where they're all at her house and they're gonna watch a movie and popcorn and freeze frame credits, which is just I I, ne- I can never get over how goofy that the freeze frame credits are for this movie. <laughs> like all the, good time they all have it, but it's just like this is this is not the genre, but like. I, I feel like they're trying to say something about isolation and it, it kind of works in the first half. Like as if the killer kind of you know, the killer's killing people to draw her out you know, leaving the, the pictures around. And like, how did he get her number? And if he got her number, could never explained. I don't believe and, like if he could get her number, couldn't he find her, her address? Like, that's the thing. The film plays it up as if he had her address,
1: because she's like, "I'm, I'm no more safe there than I am here." And it's like, "Well, why didn't he just go after her instead of like which, yeah, calling her?" Which
0: kind of brings like, "Why does he? Why does he kill his entire cast? Like, what does he have against them if the whole thing is just revenge against Sydney for having the life he wish he he wished he had, despite the fact that he's the one who destroyed her life and all that, whatever?" uh then what? Like, why is he got to kill everyone else too? I guess because it's a screen movie, but. Like his motivations are so ridiculously shallow, and and I I think they they're aware of that and they play on that, but but you still got the fact that he's so shallow and pathetic.
1: Yeah, it, it is weird because the thing like it's weird that they have him be the orchestrator of like the original events. It's a trilogy. I mean, I guess this is you know yeah like but and you know this is him returning back like returning to finish the job. It's just like your first very like theatrical idea that was just contained to a bunch of high school students didn't work. So let's create an a far more, you know, theatrical, thematic series of killings in Hollywood with like famous actors and bodyguards and stuff. And you're still surprised that it just falls flat and it's just you this time. Like you're not even making sure there's another person. It just none of it makes any sense. <laughs>
0: yeah it just it doesn't work and i think um like scott foley is trying but i don't know that he has the presence to to sell those monologues no he does not he i I do kind of like it when he's just playing the absolutely narcissistic pathetic uh director who's kind of having a tantrum that his movie's being closed down yeah like all i ever wanted was to make a real classic love story and the studio said they'd let me if all I did was make a scary movie for them first, which is kind of funny. It's like, I think that's like Wes Craven. Yeah. Definitely. But also, the yeah, uh, I love the line, you know, nobody's going to want to work with me. Variety called me a pariah. I don't even know what a pariah is. <laughs> he's, he's got some kind of funny moments, but he, yeah, he's yeah, he's kind of useless at the end.
1: You know, to me, one of the things that I felt about the uh, the second one is that it felt a little less leaning into you know the satire and the commentary and stuff like it, it was still present like the idea of sequels are there um but it felt more straightforward kind of slasher genre film uh-huh. this one seems like it's like leaning way more into the ideas but it's just it feels very lip service like this film Feels like it has almost nothing to say about the genre or tropes or, or anything real. What uh, so we kind of talked about just how the references were just kind of coming from everybody, and it was almost it was too much just because of the setting. That's just so because to me it's like given the setting, I feel like you could have really done like really funny stuff here like um i don't know just poked fun at like the need to keep making more and more and i you know they kind of doing that with the idea of making you know stab three where they're they're having to invent their own portions of the story and stuff but i don't know it all it, it feels like at this point scream kind of loses
0: its idea identity it's, it's it, it is trying like with the whole idea that roman is making his own movie kind of thing like <laughs> the, the the moment where a lance had just like you know i'll give you whatever you want you know fight you know uh you know pick your script name your budget final cut like i already have it and he kills him like they're they're trying to do that and then the, you have the whole the randy scene where he's you know laying out the rules of the trilogy and the film sort of follows them I guess it follows though, but it doesn't do a lot of commentary on it. Like, there's, they're, they're still doing the whole effects of movie and violence thing. Like, with, with you know, with your scream, you know, take, take, take some freaking responsibility for your life.
1: Great line.
0: Yeah, yeah. Aside from that, there's very little commentary, and most of the commentary they have has kind of been done before in previous Scream films. Yeah,
1: it's just it's it feels mostly. Empty and obligatory, kind of yeah. like its inclusion. But
0: speaking of that, I think the best scene in the film is the one with <laughs> with Randy. We're not the best scene, but it's it's one of the better ones because like they they realize they they really messed up in uh in uh you know removing him from the equation because I think he is one of the vital aspects of the series. Um, and then you know, but and they, I think they found a fairly fairly clever way to bring him back. Like it does make sense that that guy would actually make a tape, yes, just in case he didn't. Like, if you're watching this tape, it means I did not survive Windsor College. And the giving my virginity to Karen Kolchak at the video store was probably not a good idea. Yes, Karen Kolchak. <laughs> Shut up. She's actually a very nice person. That
1: that line was great. I'm usually, like, not a fan of, like, comedic moments where they try to play it like they're anticipating. But in that scene, it really worked for me.
0: Yeah. Like, it, uh, it. felt. I, I wonder if um the Doctor Who episode Blink. Was inspired by this. Like, I don't know. Has this been? I don't know if this had been done much before, but like the, that idea of you know playing back and forth and actually having a conversation with someone on a tape. And it, it, it 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 it's so cheesy in concept, but I think like uh, I think uh what's the what's the actor's name? Jamie Jamie Kennedy's performance really sells it. Yeah, yeah. So he just goes over the rules of the trilogy. You know, if you if you find yourself dealing with you know unexpected backstory and a preponderance of exposition, you're not dealing with a normal a normal sequel. You're dealing with a trilogy, and all bets are off and like they say that they say all bets are off in sydney you can die and none of that happens but whatever it's none of my business <laughs> it could be effing reservoir dogs up in there by the time this is over
1: i love it you know they're talking about like just the tarantino film
0: student in the previous one mm-hmm. that line you know for some of you i'll see you soon because the rules say some of you aren't going to make it i didn't like that 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 hurts yeah, it hurts, and then it means nothing in this movie. That is true. Yeah, I think this 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 film, aside from that really awesome opening with Cotton, like it kind of is the death knell for actual stakes and scream movies.
1: Yeah, and so just going into like the third act because we've already talked about like different sequences and moments in the third act, but the third act itself is also like probably like maybe my least favorite portion of the film because at least like there's just. For as loose as as it is beforehand, at least because there's so much going on, we're constantly like bouncing back and forth between this happening and this happening, and and it's all like even the bad stuff is like mildly entertaining, but when we get to like the semi-clue kind of like let's get every like a bunch of people into this house, and here's this idea of like this screening room, let's everybody split up and it.
0: And you remember what we said about all the characters being intelligent in the previous Scream films. that does not apply here.
1: Yeah. These are characters from a script, not people.
0: <laughs> like, it happens like three or four times. Like even after they've realized there's a killer, like people just like, they keep splitting up and all of them have cell phones. They're even calling each other inside the house. Why does someone call the cops? There's
1: this, there's the part like where it's just Dewey and Gale left and he's like, okay, you stay here. I'm going to go outside and call for help. I'm like what? What? You are leaving this woman by herself while you go out to call for like this is so frustrating. If these new stupid cast members want to be dumb, whatever. you can make them dumb. But now we got like Dewey being a complete idiot too. Yeah, it's,
0: I do like the kind of fin- the final showdown in uh, in the, the director's creepy sex dungeon where they' you know, it's just her and him. And she kind of, like, you know, they did it in Scream 1, they did it in Scream 2, but where she's kind of stalking him now, and now she's, now she's the killer, and he's the victim, and, like, because, you know, it's just her, it's a bit more serious, it's a bit more dangerous, and, like, there's something about the way 90s fight scenes, like, are shot that I really enjoy, like, it's so big, and expressive there's all these haymakers, these elaborate trips and kicks, and, like,
1: bashing, like, 8,000 different, like, Pots over each other's head and glasses.
0: Yeah, but it's it's like really tight. There's a lot of like cause and effect. I I just I just like the way Wes Craven directs these sequences. It's just kind of fun, and it just feels it feels feels just much more interesting than just watching idiots run around and get stabbed. And there's
1: a lot of that. Like I didn't expect them to kill. I completely forgot that Parker Posey like that her character dies. But the scene where she dies is like so frustrating to me because the the behind the, Which the is, glass uh, and it's only, just
0: re- replaying a sequence from Scream 2.
1: <laughs> that's the thing. And that moment only just worked for me in Scream 2 because, like, I get it, it's soundproof, but uh, the idea that you wouldn't, like, hear the vibrate... It, I was like, okay, whatever. Recording booth, fine. I'll give you a pass for movie logic. But here, where it's just,
0: like, just bedroom mirrors... Which and, is like, really creepy knowing he was such a pervert. Like, why, why are there two-way mirrors into a bedroom? Yeah, just like, that...
1: It. <laughs> it's, it's definitely... Uh, I didn't even think about that. That's it's super creepy, but like it's just going back and actually seeing the mirrors and seeing them all like, how is this? Uh, this is so ridiculous. And uh, speaking of absolute ridiculousness in the in the third act,
0: the knife throw is like pe- <laughs> that was stupidity. kind of funny. Just, the hilt bounces off his head.
1: Oh, it's like it's funny, but it's just it would be funny in a different movie. Like that's it's an evil dad thing. Yeah, Evil Dead are just like slapstick, ridiculous hot rod. Not like, ugh, not this. Although I will say one moment that I did really like in the in the third act, uh, it was a pe- like a reference that I thought I was like, okay, I see what you did there, and I do like that. Is whenever um Roman and Emily Mortimer are they're I think they're the ones who are together. They go they go to look for the room, and as he leaves, he's just like we'll be right back and uh and gail and dewey just kind of look at each other i'm like okay i i do like that
0: (laughs) a couple funny touches i thought was having roger corman be the studio exec who's concerned about the effects of violence in cinema was kind of funny um the the line you know it's probably probably some psycho fan pissed off that they killed randy and stabbed two (laughs) uh like i think uh uh, Carrie Fisher's moments while it's completely weird and random are kind of funny like her, her George, sleeping with George Lucas line is actually kind of funny you know, it's not as funny considering what happens at the end of the film but in the moment it is pretty funny like I get that a lot and yeah. Carrie Fisher just yeah she's great
1: I feel the only thing left that I have to talk about they, they kind of just involve moments we've already we've already talked about that i I just am not a big fan of. like just with the with the villain telling telling Sydney like in this like i said these are these are elements that we've already gone over but just telling her you know like when you're friends with Sydney you die and it's like well no no you don't here because this movie has no teeth and and also so this is a this is an issue that i had this time i didn't really think about before is you know she's having these visions of her mother
0: it's a very nightmare on elm street up in there
1: yeah but how does he know how does he know to start playing into those fears? Because she starts having well, them. Well, because
0: it's his mother too. But
1: Yeah, but like, it's like she, while she's living in isolation, she's having these nightmares of her mother. Well, and then well, he's recreating it, these it, nightmares. It's, it's
0: to... kind of, wait, wait, does she have the nightmare before she hears about the death and the picture? Or was that, uh, is he causing the nightmares? I
1: don't remember. I don't know what the order of events there is. And it just felt to me like very specific to her. And, like, he was, like, playing up these fears that he shouldn't have known. Like, when he's like, I know you're seeing me. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, the the costuming and everything. I'm like, mm.
0: how do you know about any of this? Because he's a supernatural, uh, you know, trilogy capper villain. And he's bulletproof. Guess... <laughs> the
1: head doing.
0: <laughs>
1: also, there's no, like, this, this fury, like, or not infuriates me but this annoys me more than it should but that last the ending shot where we're supposed to really be able to be like ah and she you know she learned her lesson she grew from this every single time like every single time this time and the previous time that i watched this movie i just i can't help but just like shout at the screen like close the door we get it we (laughs) you're you know you've moved on you're not scared and living in isolation but you don't just leave the front door to your house open
0: yeah, so like I guess last thing before we close out like are there any like like normally when I complain about films I want to try and you know at least offer an alternative. I really don't know what I would like I think there's, there's a lot of fundamental story issues that are like there there's not a lot of, I can't think of really any easy fixes for this and like is there, do you have any ideas that you think that could have just like helped this movie? function better that's what
1: i because i really don't know i know there are things that i would do that would make me enjoy it more that i think would would improve the film overall but i do think i kind of agree that for this movie to to be improved like the the filmmaking moment to moment i think could be improved i think the script just the dialogue in the moment the tension of certain scenes um you know it could do better with the the stab cast and stuff, so there's a lot of things that would make it more enjoyable. But I do think you have to take it back to the script, really to like close to ground level and rework it, because like it to get like a truly like great movie out of this, because I it's just it feels so all over the place and so tonally disconnected, thematically disconnected.
0: Yeah, I like the the two only easy fixes I can think of would be more Sydney. Less stab three cast.
1: And then you, know, but like capital, you know, full, like taking those changes in, even those just create a very, very different film. Yeah. So, so uh,
0: one last thing is what is with Courtney Cox's hair? Oh, is she wearing a wig? It's awful. It's not good. She's so pretty in the first two films. Like, yeah, I know for real. And we, I mean, we
1: brutally made fun of her watching it last year. And and I went in and like, surely it wasn't as bad. And the first scene with her there at the lecture, I'm like, oh man, why?
0: Yeah. All right. So that was uh, Scream Three. Uh, James, what would you give this film out of five stars, and how would you rank it with the previous two films?
1: Uh, so I give this uh, two out of five. Um, Really?
0: Yeah, I wanted like even take you to account like where it stands with other slashers.
1: <laughs> yes, and th- so this is this has been weird for me. Like so, going through all of all of these slashers back to back, I'm almost starting to, and this is kind of not at all what I usually do, but it's just I've almost started comparing them. To their own franchise, like I'm harder on this because of what's come before, mm-hmm. and I'm in a way that I don't even feel too too bad for because to me, whenever you're continuing a story, you you have to understand like the responsibility of that. Like, were a movie of this quality to have come from like the seventh Friday the thirteenth, I would have been like, oh wow, this functions somewhat. Yeah, like, here's a, you know, I'll, I'll throw a three-star this way, just because, like, there's absolutely nothing that's come before it. And, like, I, I feel like I've kind of been the same on that series, where the first four movies of Friday the 13th are the same movie. All of, like, and the different, like, I, I think the first one is the most competently made one, but even it's not, like, good, and the difference between them as it goes on, there's very little disparity even between the best and the worst between those first four but I've given them like lower and lower scores as as we go on because it's like you can't just keep doing the same thing and keep getting like being considered, you know, well at least I'm as good as these other ones. And so this this film has it has the responsibility of continuing these arcs and continuing these themes and this kind of satire and stuff and because it seemingly takes on the responsibility by dealing with it in a way i feel like i have to also judge it by how it does that and i just overall like i mean we spent probably 70 percent of this episode talking about what we didn't like and so it, it feels like disingenuous of me
0: but, uh, for, for me at least a- part of that was it was simply because i've talked about all the stuff i liked about this film so much in the previous two films that's,
1: Like that's fair it's just i don't know, even for me like i really do enjoy these characters and i still enjoy them and i still really like i i've probably loved sydney as a character more these rewatches than ever um but i think it's almost like this. It's not nearly to this level, but it's almost a Rocky Four situation for me, where like <laughs> my love
0: Ooh. of the previous one wasn't that much slow mo and montages. Yeah, this
1: one, you know, maybe if we had an '80s robot, you know, we'd be talking about something else.
0: What we needed was a Sidney Prescott workout. Montage.
1: There we go. You know, out in isolation, ready to come back chopping down trees and all that yeah. kind of stuff. but like you. Know, the, the point being, though, like, my love for what came before makes what doesn't work here all the more, like, painful and annoying. Where it's like, no, you I love these characters. This is canon. I have to accept that this is what's continued. Like, this is the tone that the series is now taken on. This is the... I don't know, because of how much I enjoy it. I mean, it's the exact same reason that, you know, Justice League, which is a perfectly adequate little meh of a movie like I have nothing but total disdain for that film because of my love for what came before and this isn't nearly to that level but it's why I still I come down a bit a bit more negative than than positive or kind of like break even
0: I don't think any of us have qualified our reading this much
1: <laughs> yeah okay well so end of qualification I I enjoy the series too much for like what sometimes this film feels like an insult to to what came before in the way it does certain things mm-hmm. um so yeah that's where i'm at and for ranking i go one two three
0: yeah so like i i guess for, for me I, I i my letterbox ranking would be a three but maybe since i've been cheating the whole time i will give like a 2.8 or 2.75 um like i like this movie more than i just like it you know the cast is fun it's still directed by wes craven you know, it's, it's got, it's got a sense of fun about it. It's got a sense of energy. It's, it's, it's got most, pretty much every good thing for the previous films is at least present in some shape or form. It's, it's not like a total washout. And then also comparing it to the rest of the genre. Like <laughs> there's no question that this is so much better but, yeah, but also by the same virtue, it's not that great, especially compared to the first two films. It is such an obvious step down. So I'll give it uh, 2.75. And uh, as, same as you, it's uh, ranking 1, 2, 3.
1: Wow. So Uh-oh. according to Letterbox, if you go to Gabe Green's Letterbox, there's a half a star's difference between Scream 3 and Joker. I shall not stand <laughs> for this.
0: All right, so moving into the uh, the box office, on its release, it earned eighty nine million domestically, and seventy two million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of one hundred sixty one million. On its uh, very, you know, pretty much very very much increased forty million dollar budget. The previous one was uh twenty four million. It's an eleven million dollar drop from the uh, second film, um. But then this one did have a much larger budget, and and so it it, it made money, and you know, at, I guess it didn't it didn't hurt that much for being kind of hated because like as far as the, uh, the critical reception it got like a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 56 on Metacritic. Just reading the reviews people just seem to be over the series like they most of them seem to just think that, just, that the concept had worn itself out and that the, the series was becoming cliche and formulaic. Uh, there are quite a few people that, that did enjoy it you know, like got a 39% and like but even the positive reviews are kind of making it clear that it's not that great. Uh, but one thing that's interesting is that I didn't really sense like any strong dislike from, uh, you know, from the negative views. Like most of them, are like yeah, it just doesn't quite work. Like there's like a, an odd respectfulness about even the even the negative views, which was just odd. Maybe like maybe it was just people who were more polite in two thousand. Like I feel like if this came out today, there'd be a lot more vicious ripping into it.
1: Probably. So when it comes to this movie's legacy, it's it's weird. You know, we talked about how these sequels are kind of not forgotten but just the only really dealing with them that they get is like by way of acknowledging that scream is a series as opposed to just one movie and yet like when you get more you know into the details of it there is an acknowledgement like no two is still good three's the worst this and that but it's still it's so weird to to try to quantify it because it's like you have to push into well, what do you think about two specifically? What do you think about three specifically? Because really, it's like Scream One is great, uh, you know. After that, I you know there there it was a series, and and so when you get into it, Scream Three definitely generally seems to be the one that people consider the worst. Uh, but also, like you said, there's you don't really see a lot of disdain for it. It's really a, the most negative you typically see is just like complete apathy. So. Yeah, there it's really as far as an actual film, it's it really it only barely has any semblance of like a legacy.
0: Yeah. Alright, so that was Scream 3. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I'd ask you to please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating review. If you wanna like us on Facebook, we are there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, we are on both of those sites as at franchisedpod. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to franchiseadiquepodcast.com. And where we'll can people follow you, James?
1: You can follow me over at Letterboxd. I am JL Hamry, J L H A M R I. You can also follow both of us over on Facebook at the Outer Rim, a Star Wars group. We are both admins over there with a couple of friends. Um, and we are coming to the end of a, a Rebels rewatch. We're rewatching like the entirety of the Star Wars series in chronological order leading up to Rise of Skywalker. So if you have fun with Star Wars and you want to have fun talking about it with other people, definitely join us over there.
0: And I'm also on Letterboxd, and there's Gabriel Green. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Green, And I also have a YouTube channel where I put out these movie-based music videos. I'm going to be putting out a new one pretty soon. So that, if that sounds at all interesting, you can check that out. And there is a Greenery01 is my channel. Um, so for next week, uh, we'll be discussing the final film of the Scream series with the legacy goal Scream 4, which was also Craven's final film. It's gonna be sad, but also I, I remember liking that film, so it'd be fun too.
1: Yeah, I definitely remember. It's you know, it's still not up to the first two, but I do remember there this being a return to like the tone of the first two. So I do look forward to a rewatch. So, until next week, we will see you in the final chapter.
0: God, why don't you stop whining and get it over with? I've heard this crap before. Scream once, scream twice, now scream again. The cult effect. These will be right hand.